The future of health coaching. Opportunity, action, impact. Brought to you by Teleosis Institute, coaching and narrative healing. Hi, and welcome to the Future of Health Coaching Summit. I'm Reggie Marrick, Creative Director at Teleosis Institute. And on behalf of Joel Kreisberg, our Executive Director, I'd like to welcome you to this session of the summit. I'm very happy to be speaking with Patricia Hinton Walker um, today, and she'll be speaking about body-centered coaching, enhancing the mind's decisions with the body's wisdom for effective health behavior change. Uh, Patricia is a certified wellness coach, a certified executive coach, and certified in body-centered coaching, as well as social-emotional intelligence coaching. She serves as coordinator and health and wellness coach trainer at MentorCoach Coach LLC, and she also holds a PCC, a professional certified coach credential, with the International Coach Federation. Uh, welcome, Pat. Right. Thanks. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks. It's good to see you as well. So what I'd like to do is uh, just really begin by asking you a specific question. Um, even though we all kind of know what the words mean, um, when you say body-centered approach, what is it that you really mean by that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, in the normal uh, coaching process, and when we look at planning for change and decision-making related to that, uh, most of the time, it's really related to uh, the mind. And so I sort of have a favorite saying that the body won't go where the mind won't tell it, but also that frequently what our mouth says, sometimes our body will not follow through on. And so um, what body-centered coaching is really about is the integration of the mind, body, and spirit and paying attention to the wisdom of the body, the signals that the body sends, that when our mouth and mind are saying one thing, is the body giving us a different message in some kind of way, either affirming or sometimes questioning, or I don't think I like that at all. <laughs> Great. I, I really appreciate that because I, I love that the word embodiment um, is in our conversation, and it's, it's, it's a very personal bias for me because my own coach training the last module of it was called in this order um, embodiment and certification and if you hadn't embodied the methodology and really showed you could do that in a live session um, right. you didn't get certified so you had to have it with you not just know have some knowledge up here so i love that um first of all that it's called a body-centered approach and second of all that the word embodiment is in there so can you say a little bit more about um, where this body-centered approach uh, comes from and, and how you uh, found it and moved into it? Great. Well, first of all, I really want to give uh, appropriate credit to Marlena Field. Mm -hmm. Marlena is from Canada. And I heard her speak at a national conference and was just so moved, if I can use that word, um, with the power of having the entire full person engaged in coaching decisions and action and most of all being clear about a direction that we're going to go in. And so um, I contacted Marlena and actually took a couple of her courses and then um, she opened up an opportunity for several of us to be considered um, trainers. 
and um, move through a certification process, but not only a certification process, but be approved by her as a trainer. And so um, I was really pleased to be selected as, as one of those. And, um, and I'm integrating it into what I do with um, the coach training that I do in demonstrations with students and so forth. Okay, great. And just something that um, you and I spoke about a little bit before we, we began this call, but in fact, it was, it was Marlena who, when we were putting together our list of folks for the summit, who said, you know, you have to, you have to ask Pat Hinton Walker. So I'm absolutely <laughs> glad that we, we finally did meet and got to do that. So it was, it was, it was based on her, you know, personal, personal recommendations. So great. Yeah. Well, one other thing I'd like to just add is that the Mentor Coach program is really focused on positive psychology. Mm -hmm. And so for a lot of people, when they think of the positive psychology, they think a lot of about it in the head. But uh, when you really get to the depth of positive psychology, you know, it does um, go beyond the mind and the emotions into the health and well-being. Actually, positive health is something that um, Marty, Marty Seligman has put forward. And so it was also a good um, connection to what I already was doing okay. in uh, the coaching that I was doing. Okay, great. And it's, it, it, I mean, it does make sense to, um, be, well, I guess in one regard, our language has this dualistic nature to it. So if we hear positive psychology, we automatically go to the head, yes. um, whereas if we talk about a body-centered approach, for some reason, even though the head, I, for the most part, is part of the body, we <laughs> tend to think about from the neck down. Right. So, and I, you know, that, I don't think I've ever said that out loud before, but that, as I listen to you, we do have that, that duality, I think, in our language. Mm -hmm. so that, in fact, it's important, what you just said, that, in fact, positive psychology isn't just in the head. Right. And in fact, an embodied approach doesn't ignore the head, but goes beyond it. Um, well, and in addition to that, with what we're learning in the research now with neuroscience is the connection of the body to habits, you know, even driving to a place you didn't intend to go. Uh, even when we're talking, uh, switching a little bit to health and wellness, where we're talking about smoking cessation. A lot of people don't realize that a lot of that is, we, we focus so much on the nicotine, but a lot of it is the deep breath uh, that helps people relax. A lot of it is also the pattern of behavior of reaching, whether it's in the pocket or in the purse, and that's neuroscience, that's a habit. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's a combination of what physiologically is happening as well as what's psychologically happening we as you you said it very well uh too many people believe that the body is just the thing that carries around the head mm -hmm. and therefore <laughs> not paying much attention to it until it just starts yelling at us that hey something needs to be attended to here uh, so and i just um i wasn't i didn't know i was going to say this but the example <laughs> you just gave about the habit especially with smoking um i'm a poet in another area of my life. Uh -huh. and, uh, I don't have the poem handy, but the last two years of my father's life, he passed away when he was 88 years old. He was a smoker for 70 years. Mm -hmm. um, and he had a very difficult last two years. And I can see him in his hospital bed um, asleep. And he yes. literally did this while he was asleep. 
he took two fingers and yep. he reached in what would have been a shirt pocket for where he had his mm -hmm. cigarettes. Um, and then with nothing in his fingers, he took two slow, long <laughs> inhales with an imaginary cigarette. I mean, I watched him do that. I'm, you almost described it. Yes. Uh, literally what I saw him do. Yeah. And so, so even just taking that a little bit further, what happens then when we're talking in the health and wellness context and whatever habit we're trying to break, um, if you only attend to, as I said at the beginning, what the mind says to do, but the body does something else, uh, without linking our decision making, our actions, our mindfulness, even though we tend to overuse that term, um, to what's happening, you know, we're only dealing with half of the solution or half of the problem, however you like to frame it. I, I on the body, on the positive psychology side, like to look more at where we're going rather than trying to get into where we've been. Sure, great. So, so with that, I'm thinking of our, our audience now, and there are, you know, health and wellness coaches. Um, there are prospective health and wellness coaches. There are um, I'm hoping some healthcare professionals who are looking to develop some coaching skills um, to get a little bit more granular. I'll ask, you know, go the opposite direction and ask you a, a more general question, I think. So when we speak about exploring, and this is one of the objectives you and I spoke about, the process of embodiment. Um, what does that look like? How does that happen um, as, as a coach? Um, how do you engage the process of embodiment with a client? Okay. Well, let me just use one example, which we uh, talk about in the body-centered coaching area. Um, most people are not aware how frequently they use what we would call embodied metaphors. So they might say, I can't grasp that, but they don't realize that they're trying to get a hold of something. Or they might say, uh, I feel behind. Or I was just doing a workshop and um, one of the gentlemen there said that he was not only stuck in a rut, but there were big walls on either side of that rut, as an example. And so what I explained to him is he had two metaphors that we needed to approach from a body-centered perspective. So what I would do when something like that comes up is have them begin to either stand up or participate in making that metaphor real, you know, wherever it is that they're describing it. And um, this is probably the best uh, time for me to say that the, the most, not the most important, but one of the most important areas that I have learned in the body-centered coaching is that the language that we use as a coach will cause someone who is describing something sometimes in the body even though they don't know it and then we say well how do you feel about that well what we've done is moved them away from the physiology or the physicalness and now we've moved them to emotion or if we say what did you think about that or what messages is your body sending then what we're doing is translating that back again to the head so I encourage people to look at what I'm going to call more a purity of the language so that the coach isn't changing the topic or changing where it's coming from in the client. So that's why we like to use the word signal 
Um, what is the body saying or communicating to you rather than message, which means that I have to translate up here. Um, and so by being very careful to use the client's language, which we know in coaching you do anyway, but not switching it to where the coach is coming from in language. So I would pay attention to that. And then like with the client with the wall, um, we happened to be in a space where I knew we couldn't go around the wall. If the client is in their home, usually there's a doorway. And so the question is, if you could get to the other side of the wall, how would you get there? And some people will say, I'd go around it. Some people would say, I will go over it or under it. This gentleman actually put his hand up and he said, I actually went through a wall sometime in my past and I would go through it. Okay. And so that's an example of using his language, his metaphor, if you will, and putting him in that situation where he could literally, by standing there facing that wall, make a decision about what he wanted to do. Okay. Yeah, great. Thank, yeah, thank you for that. That's a, a wonderful, you know, opening up into the importance of language. And one, one of the examples you use at the beginning of that last minute and a half or so, um, one of the words I, that I, I'm gonna actually, I almost just said it, I'll say it anyway. One of the words that I feel can be confusing is the word feel, um, yes. because that's a, you know, if you look it up in the dictionary, the first definition, the denotation tends to be, you know, has to do with tactile, you know, yes. with touch, which is body-based. Right. Um, however, when we ask someone how they feel, the answer typically, even though the source of how I feel might be a bodily sensation, exactly. I translate it into an emotion. I feel angry. I feel sad. I feel whatever. So can you say a little bit more well, can you speak directly to that word and how you use it? Is that too precise or is that a fair question? No, it's a really fair question. And let me just say, you know, of course, none of us are perfect. And so that, that might come out. And so one of the ways that we can kind of save that is if the person goes to the emotion, like the anger or the excitement or whatever, then the next question is, and how is it that you're experiencing that? Right. Great. And where is it that you're experiencing that? And sometimes you have to give a little bit of a nudge to say, you know, is it somewhere between here and your and your knees? Where is it? And then to also begin to ask, and it's amazing how people actually experience those sensations, sometimes in color, uh, sometimes in temperature, and sometimes in some form of a geometric shape. Okay. But it all has meaning to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, um, as you were saying, I just had I, I have a little bit of background with um, with ACT, with acceptance and commitment yes. therapy. Uh -huh. When you just when you begin to say that they appear as colors or shapes, I mean that's one of the moves that I know Stephen Hayes ex asks people to make um, when they're when they're kind of objectifying this thing that they that, that's mm -hmm. holding them back. Um, so that's yeah, it's, it's pretty powerful, and we just we just don't know um, 
how whatever it is, how the sensation is going to manifest for anyone. Exactly. And so the exactly. quality of the questions is just so important. So I, lo I love that you're that precise. Um, this, it's my bias too with language, but I love that you're that precise with both how you listen and then uh -huh. try to express it. Yeah. And, and we do, okay, if I can go back to the neuroscience of the coach for a moment, we do have that habit of certain language that we use in our coaching process. I mean, it's something I had to work on to move it from this mind-centered thinking, decision-making perspective to a body-centered uh, perspective and realize that I was actually causing the client to shift. Yeah, and that's, I mean, you're naming with those of us who coach um, are constantly on the lookout for, I, I, I believe, is, is how much of what's going on in this conversation is about the client mm -hmm. and how much of it is coming from me as a coach. So that's a, a constant vigilance is important there, I know. So I appreciate you going back to that. Could, but, I, could I mention one other thing that, oh, that please, is yeah. helpful and that we encourage in the body-centered coaching? And that is as much as possible, and I even do this when I'm coaching someone on the phone, to get in that body space that you're asking the client to get into. Okay. So if I ask the client to stand and then I stand, and then I ask them what they're doing, then I try to do the same thing. And let's go back to what we know is the power of coaching, which is intuition. And frequently that intuition, you know, comes from a body sensation. Yeah. And um, so sometimes that body sensation that we experience is a way to open that up also to the client. And I think it helps us not be in our head if we're participating with the client in whatever um, experiment, if we will, and that's how I always open it, would you be willing to experiment with me? And then we might invite to stand or invite to do something. Yeah. So would, would you say that, that I'll just use the word mirroring, so even if we're on yes. the phone, if the client stands, I'm going to stand, would you say that that also might contribute to, um, to enhance the possibility of a more empathic response on the part of the Absolutely. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. And, and uh, when I just did that in the workshop, it was interesting. Some of the people gave me feedback that I even mirrored. I'm glad you brought that word up. I was even mirroring the client's posture in the workshop. Okay. I wasn't aware that I was doing it, but I was. When she was kind of sad and down, I was there with her. And when she was in a different space, I was there with her. Okay. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. That's, and, and, Having been on the receiving end of empathic mirroring myself, and when I when I needed somebody to to be with with me in whatever capacity, um, I I don't have the words to describe how powerful that is. It is oh very yeah very it's so great. So how um, one of the the other uh, objectives that you and I spoke about when we were, we were preparing for this uh, talk was examining the value of embracing embodied signals, resources, and positive psychology strengths. And for me, that's a, there are a lot of words there that I need yeah. to separate them out. Can, can you just begin to speak a little bit about juxtaposing, I mean, we already touched on it, but the body-centered approach with positive psychology and how we would embrace these signals and resources? 
Okay. Well, um, of course, from the positive psychology perspective, we use the 24 values and action strengths in, in the coaching. And um, I'll just use myself as an example. Um, one of my top strengths is capacity to love and be loved. Okay. And that, for me, is here. Okay, and another one of my top strengths, though, is creativity. And that lives here. And so a lot of times we can um, bring a strength forward or we hear it, that we call it strength spotting. And um, we can ask where that lives for that person. So I'm going to go a little bit away from embracing the signal for a moment, which it relates to something we just talked about. And that is remembering the resource. So one of the things we do that brings in the positive psychology is we ask, when you were in a similar situation before, what did what strength did you pull on to get through that situation? What we would do in the body-centered coaching is we would get clear about where that strength was. I remember a woman from the Netherlands that I was coaching, and she remembered this empowered, I even changed my posture because she did, this empowered space. She was sitting and looking out a window, and she stood up for something on the phone. And it was just fascinating because it was about her bravery and courage. And normally I would have thought about it here. Oh no, this was a triangle of blue around her head that she stood up. And so that was a matter of remembering the resource that that's what her decision for bravery and courage came from. Okay. And then embodying the signal, um, again, I'll kind of use myself as an example is, um, where when, when we have a part of our body that just in the health and wellness context, maybe just isn't doing what we want it to do. Like I had a knee issue and it was slowing me down. And so I finally decided to go ahead and have, you know, a, a knee replacement. But what I learned in the body-centered coaching is that many people are actually cursing the part of their body they need to carry it around. <laughs> it's like, oh, my knee is just not doing what it needs to be doing. And instead of saying knee, you know, thank you for alerting me that something is not okay and maybe I need to slow down or maybe I need to pay more attention to your needs before the knee gets so upset that it throws your hip out <laughs> because it does. And so embracing the signal is recognizing when in, in that context of health and wellness, that would be one that we might look at something somatically would come for, but it could be embracing the signal of, we use this term a lot of butterflies in my tummy. And what do those butterflies really, what are they saying? to me and how is it that I would um, thank them for being there telling me maybe I need to take a deep breath, maybe I need to remind myself remembering the resource that I've done this before and I can do it again. Okay. I don't know if that answered your question. It does and, it, and my question was really just to, to begin to you know tease apart the language so that both um, myself as, as an interviewer here and anyone listening to this can really get a more granular and grounded sense of what we're speaking about. So no, it, it, was, it was fine. And I do want to say um, for anyone who might listen to this after the fact uh, without the video component to it, 
Uh, when Pat just began that, that last response, she spoke about her capacity for, um, for to, to love and be loved. And she said, that's here. And she put her hand on her heart. And um, she said, but my creativity is here. And she put her hand up to her, her head. So just so anybody who is, is not seeing the video, um, the, the here's respectively were love and, and uh, being loved in the heart and creativity in the head. So just, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. No, that, that's fine. That's, that's uh, my pleasure. Um, so, so for a, a coach listening or a prospective coach who's considering going into coaching, um, and there's a, there's a part of this question which feels unwieldy to me, so I'll, I'll try to make it as, as, as wieldy as possible, if that's okay. a word. Um, for someone who hasn't been trained in positive psychology or hasn't been trained in body-centered body coaching, um, what might be you know, a couple of bullet points, ideas to remember, um, again, not thinking that suddenly you're a positive psychologist or a body-centered right. coach, but mm -hmm. that would be helpful in engaging clients um, moving forward. Well, uh, let me start with the positive psychology first. Mm -hmm. And of course, we know it's strength-based. And, you know, interestingly, my whole life, I've had a philosophy of coming from the positive or coming from the strengths mm -hmm. in everybody that I worked with. And so I happened to use two terms that were in that particular assessment. But we don't need to have that kind of assessment to recognize a strength. Right. So we can just listen to someone and then ask them how it is that they, you know, I, I sensed a strength there. Okay. What would it be? What would you name it? and let the client name it because it, it's it's really the client's strength and then when you use that strength where does it come from within you something like that that's one of the ways that you could use that um, and make that link without even mentioning the word body sure. yeah. uh, the second one on the body centered side is um, the best example that i have is is decision making and that's why one of the powerful areas of body-centered coaching is and that is that we make so many decisions with a pro and a con you know and we're bouncing back and forth and frequently going back to something we talked about at the beginning frequently the body has the wisdom to know whether or not this is really something and the word that I like to use is comfortable mm. uh, are you comfortable with that? Where is that comfort zone? And if they can't say that, then sometimes is there a discomfort about this? And most people, in fact, it just happened at the workshop, a woman said, yes, I have discomfort <laughs> when I think about that decision. And so um, engaging again, asking where that is, and we use two strategies one is standing up putting a line on the floor and then asking them to stand up next to that line and if they were to make that decision and step over the line what would they be experiencing i, I just did this in a, a coaching call the other night we do coaching and action calls at mentor coach and the woman stood up the line and she said oh my god it's like a cliff i don't think i can do that wow. <laughs> and then another client i had looked down and he said 
my right foot is already over the line. Mm. And in health and wellness coaching, the piece that is so powerful is before you take that step, let's just look over your shoulder and let's see what would you have to leave behind. And you get interesting things like mama's apple pie (laughs) or uh, my ice cream cone that makes me feel good and warm and fuzzy inside. And um, it's interesting because if you really don't look at what it is you're leaving behind in a major decision in health and wellness, then it's difficult for you to follow through. And of course, using Prochaska's stages of change and many of the other areas of coaching, we focus on the early stages and how we get a plan and how we get to action, whether it's career or executive coaching. Yet in health and wellness coaching, it's about sustainment. Mm, And if you can't make that larger connection beyond just, oh, I think that's a good idea. to commitment, and I again touched my heart, because that would be where my commitment comes from, although some other people, their commitment comes from their core. Sure, yeah. So. Yeah, thanks for that. That's, um, because, I mean, that was a a way of moving toward, and I think you you actually did use the word strategy there at the very beginning, um, Mm -hmm. um, toward the idea of, of really identifying um, what you referred to as um, body-centered decision-making strategies, using the body to experience both resources and challenges, um, you know, moving forward. So my sense is, and I'm I'm going to project on the onto the entire audience probably with this. Okay. <laughs> but, but my my sense is that that sometimes um, just just those words together, identify body-centered decision-making strategies um, for someone who's never heard those words in that order before, you know, they know what a, they know what a strategy is. They know about decision-making and they're getting a sense of what body centered means. Mm-hmm. So could you put those together um, and speak to you know, what we're talking about when we say, let's identify um, body centered decision-making strategies um, in, in order to, you know, basically use the body as more mm-hmm. than just a tool for transportation. Mm-hmm. And, and nutrition, but to, to really use it for all of it and use it in the best sense of that word, right. for all of the value that it brings to us. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the other strategies that's similar to that is what we would call exploring possibilities. So I'll use that as this example. And of course, we engage the imagination. So if it's somebody that is trying to make a decision about this uh, job or that job, Um, then having the person go and imagine themselves in that space and um, interacting with the people that they've met through the interview process and literally standing up, perhaps shaking the hands of the people or going and sitting at the desk that they think would be their desk in that space. And then we would go and do another space and say, if you were really to be in that space and you were acting as if, which is another term we use, that you were in that space, what is it that you're experiencing and how is it that it informs this decision? Mm -hmm. Uh, A prime example of that was a woman that I was coaching and when she got to the space, it was a very big company, she was very excited about the opportunity. However, 
she had appreciation of beauty as one of her top strengths and they were going to put her in a cubicle. Uh -huh. That's where her office was. And when she sat down in that office, she said to me, I can't live here. I can't live here every day. So then we explored, was there a place to walk outside or what? And she said, I can't live here. I can't live here. No matter what the opportunity looks like to me, I need to be in a space where I have more freedom and that I can not be so crowded. She actually did this with her shoulders mm -hmm. and I'm shrugging my shoulders in. So um, it's using the imagination to get the person to be in the space or be in the decision and uh, really embrace all of the messages that are coming forth that uh, they might not have thought about when they just do the pro and con in the head. I don't know if they've answered the question. Oh, it, it did. And again, this is it's really, I'm not, I'm not looking for a specific answer. I'm just, I'm just exploring and it, that was a wonderful um, response to the question and I, and I love in that example that she didn't say I can't work here but she said I can't live here yes which is a somewhat larger statement mm -hmm. um, and, and, and really really clear so, so that that brings me to you know we're, we're, we're speaking about a body-centered approach and, and paying attention to the body and you you've referred to this in almost every example you've given, um, but I want to come back and focus on it since the I think the majority of us, and again, I project a lot, <laughs> but I think the majority of us really do primarily rely on, unless we've been trained otherwise, rely on our thoughts and our quote-unquote feelings in terms of naming emotions uh, in our decision-making process. Um, how do you work with clients uh, in terms of negotiating um, messages that seem at odds that come from the body on the one hand, and there's another metaphor on the one hand, uh, and uh, the head on the other hand. So what, when they do have, I guess we could call it, it's not cognitive dissonance anymore. It's, uh -huh. it's uh, cognitive body dissonance. <laughs> right. When they have that dissonance, working with a body-centered approach, how do, how do you help them, how do you guide them in holding that conversation um, amid the dissonance? Is that, okay, that was a long question, but did it make sense? <laughs> yes, it did. Yeah, well, um, you know, of course, if I'm thinking about a coaching session, you know, one of, and I, I, I don't know if other coaches experience this, but one of the um, tools that we have from the ICF coaching um, perspective is inquiry or reflecting. And um, I don't know, I know this has caused me to use that tool a lot more. So many times we're so focused on action, we don't take that time for inquiry and reflection. So what I might do is instead of trying to make a decision at that moment, is to suggest that the client live with that decision mm -hmm. between now and the next time that we coach mm -hmm. and um, just reflect or have that in, internal inquiry that when they're preparing to do X, how is it that they're, what are they experiencing and how strong is it? 
was it just an impression in when we were coaching and it's something that they can work with how is it like with the woman in the cubicle i had another woman and she had a huge picture of the ocean and what she was going to do so she came up with a way to make that a place of beauty uh, for her and so with inquiry that would be one way that you could work as a coach in between i very seldom ever unless it's in a demo and even then I, I follow up with the close the client um, who has a demo because one time um, just recently a woman was she was literally straddling a line that's when I asked her when she was going to continue with this relationship or not it was a heart relationship and she just walked over and found a line on the floor and put one foot equally I mean equally mm -hmm. on one side and the other so we moved to one side and actually i was pretty convinced because she says i'm just 90 percent there and then she moved to the other side and all of a sudden she said oh i am free over here i i don't have to reduce who i am to be in this relationship and it was just uh, you know a very uh, powerful experience for her in the audience I talked to her later in that same conference and she said I'm still working through whether 90% is good enough for me oh. or not and you know it it is I mean many of us don't get a hundred percent of everything we want anyway and so that would be something that because uh, one thing she said was this person loved her she said I feel his love it's warm it's caring and so then is 90% good enough and uh, that would be uh, spending some time if you will in inquiry the other term that I like to use is pilot 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 okay. So let's say if we're talking about a decision uh, about health and wellness from a, I don't like to use the word diet, from an eating perspective, no. because diet all of a sudden says, ah, you're gonna deny me. But um, what happens then in that per person's life is then to try something out, if I eliminate something from my diet or if I add something to my diet, then just making, whether it's inquiry or journaling, a lot of people don't like to journal, but they do know that whenever I am doing this, I either feel more energy, I'm experiencing more energy, uh, or my tummy rumbles, or or whatever, and my, my head is just not functioning, I'm a little bit of a fog, that kind of thing. So if you open those doors to the connection to a decision I make of what I'm eating or not eating, to the different places in our body that it could make a difference and then have them pilot it because people are so confused today in the health and wellness field about what you're supposed to eat and not eat i mean you can pick up a piece of research that will support anything you decide to do yeah. and so you know it is about that person and making the connection to i'm going to try this and then I'm gonna live with it in my body and see, does my body really like what it's doing for me or not doing for me? Yeah, great. Now, I appreciate, I appreciate the, the detail in, in that response. And again, uh, if there's, there've been several threads that I've been, I've been hearing since we began speaking, but one of them definitely is it comes back to, and you know, we know this, but it's important to remember, it always comes back to the individual client Exactly. Uh, and uh, we could, you know, whatever methodology we're working with, 
uh, you know, the, the most important part of that methodology is that other human being. So, um, well, Marlena says it well. She says, "Always remember that as a coach, you shouldn't have a vote." <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, um, and I like that because sometimes we do put our thumb on the scale in subtle ways. Yes, yeah. yeah, so I, I actually really appreciate the the, the nuances of the body centered approach in, in the coaching methodology that I was trained in. Um, we we look we use a variety of lenses through which to um, look at, listen to, and try to look as the client. And among the multiple intelligences or um, lines of development that we look through uh, are cognitive, emotional, spiritual, moral, interpersonal, and somatic. And in my time coaching, I can think of one client off the top of my head um, in engaging him or her in a, in a coaching uh, plan uh, where somatic wasn't in in the deal where you know getting back into the body and i think that's a very western um issue i don't yes. I, I don't know enough about every other culture to say it's not there but in our american culture for sure we're just disconnected from it so you bet. so i love you know the focus that you bring in here and then there's there's one other piece that I wanted to, to um, introduce here because we touched on it briefly in our previous conversations in, in preparing for this. And um, I can only read a sentence that I'll intro introduce it because this is actually, I'll introduce it using your words and then I'll <laughs> ask you the question. So it's just too often health and wellness coaching clients concentrate on what the mind thinks and valuable information that is available from the body and the spirit are not considered. So, you know, we've really zeroed in on on, on the body. Uh, you know, as for for this particular topic, I think we sh we should be there. Um, and I know that for a lot of people, going into the spirit area might be a little bit uncomfortable. But I think, I mean, it's part of my my own personal life, and it's part of my own coaching methodology. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to hear um, how you integrate spirit um, in the work that you do. Uh, well, in, in some of the work around calling um, that uh, Brian Dick and others do in their research, I loved it that he said that we need to, as coaches, somehow we've been taught not to do that, that we need to, as coaches, say, and, and the way that I approach it is say, you know, where does your spiritual connections, where, where does that fit here? And for some clients, they say, not at all, you know. And if they say that, then we don't go there. It's the client's time and, and whatever. Uh, frequently, uh, clients are so relieved that you've asked the question uh, because frequently it does inform in ways. And again, I would make that connection because some people, um, I don't want to use the word see because it brings us to the to the vision, but some people experience their spiritual uh, part of their being in a particular space in their body. Uh, some people experience it going back to the heart. It depends on how they were taught. Some people, it's sort of in the head of the shoulds and should nots. Uh, for some people, it is uh, almost like totally engulfing them and so really getting clear about then how does it impact your 
next decision or how will this support you or how might you need to work through something that is either something you were taught spiritually or whatever that would um, would hinder whatever it is that you're trying to do so I really believe in asking the question and letting the client take it wherever they want to take it um, but we don't often enough ask the question and what Brian says is that when we don't ask the question that it's harder to get to purpose and calling and where does the work that I'm doing or the life that I'm living how is it that that gives me energy um, the other day a woman said that the energy was in her legs um, and it was just a very different place because many people concentrate on the other parts of the body but that's not where she was so I, I really believe that we need to ask that question and then make that connection to the mind and to the body because for people who that the spiritual part of their being is such an important part of their life we frequently don't engage it yeah. yeah, thank you for that. I mean, I, the language that I connect and not just that I connect with um, spirituality with, and I th I'm pretty sure it comes from originally from a, um, a, a Christian Catholic scholar, Paul Tillich. Um, yeah. And then I, I probably learned it through James Fowler, but, but ultimate concern. What is your ultimate concern um, in, in, in your life right now? And that can be anything from food to money to saving the planet, you know, whatever it might be. And, you know, that's often a, a really important way in, um, regardless of what a client is you know, presenting with it when they come to coaching. So I- And if I, and if I could just uh, point what you just said, um, I was just reading a book that I won't mention. It was talking about one of the most powerful questions right at the beginning is what's on your mind. Okay. Well, sometimes people didn't come with the concern being a mind concern. And frequently they'll say, I don't know. Um, so I love the word that you identified, what is the concern, because that allows them to go anywhere. It doesn't push them back up to their head. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, it, you know, and this is, if, if uh, people who are viewing this uh, interview or, or listening to it, took nothing else i mean i hope they take everything that you're sharing away um, because this is a lot of wonderful value and 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 real i think a real sense of well purpose and love coming from you but just the importance and i again have a bias because i i love i'm a poet but the importance of the words we choose um because they they convey more than just the literal meaning so i, I thank you for coming back to that yet again uh, it's it's just really really important, um, and you know we don't we don't know uh, the <laughs> impact and of you know the unfolding meanings in, in, the, exactly. in the metaphors um, that we're speaking or or using you know when we write. So so thank you for bringing me back to that yet again. And if if you don't mind, if uh, the other thing that I think we don't do early in our relationship with our clients. And we know this from a learning theory perspective that some of us are visual 
and that's how we receive most of our quote-unquote signals. Uh, some of us, uh, it's, it's auditory, and for others, it's kinesthetic. And for most of us, it's actually a couple of those together. And so if I, one of the things, I'm very visual. And so I really, uh, actually most of the time when I'm coaching, I coach with my eyes closed because anything visual in the room distracts me. But I frequently, my intuition and my spiritual knowing frequently comes as an image. And uh, if you begin to get that assessment if I don't really like that word but if you work with your client early on and get a sense of where uh, how they learn and it is it a combination I have a client that's very kinesthetic and so the um, he it's the music is what he hears and what happens in his hands and so uh, those two things come together there's no visual in it and so um, it's, it's interesting if we get a little bit more clarity about our clients, but also clarity about us as a coach. And again, where we insert ourselves based on how we view the world or receive messages unconsciously. We don't even know we're doing it because that's part of the neuroscience of the habit of who we are. <laughs> Sure, sure, and I I love the way you just tied that that back into the to the habits again. Um, yeah, because one of the the language, Laura Devine, who's one of the founders of Integral Coaching Canada, um, wrote a great paper on on looking as the client. And my, when I read that, my interpretation of it was we've all been told since we were children, you know, you know don't criticize someone else until you've walked a mile in their shoes. Mm -hmm. My experience of that has been that typically when we think we're walking a mile in someone else's shoes, what we're doing is putting ourselves in their circumstances, but it's still me. And looking as the client asks me to you know, understand how they see the world, what they feel, what their experience is like, and try to see through their eyes, feel through their body, not as me, but as, the word there is as, as them. And right that's a really complex move. It's not easy to do that. Um, but when it works and when I'm aware enough of my own stuff, it's an amazingly powerful um, ability to really, really help someone who's sitting in, in a client's seat for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. Mar Marlena uses the term simply being. And, um, you know, in coaching, we have language that says, how do you want me to be with you? And if I can't be if I can't simply be and not be in your way um, with my language or with the way that I'm viewing something. I mean, obviously bringing the intuition and all of that, which is the powerful part of coaching, I think it's the most powerful part, really, that we are bringing something that's not on the table to the table. But we, what we're taught is to let the client take it wherever works for them. Um, and, and we just insert ourselves so many times without really meaning to or being totally unaware. I've, when, early on in my coaching, I would ask a question because I am a, a thinker. Um, I would say, well, what do you think about that? And the client would have this pause because they were really talking about something deep here and I asked him to switch it up here. And it took me a while to realize that I was causing the pause and it wasn't the kind of silence that is 
that they're deepening, it was a silence of adjusting to me. Sure. Yeah, that's, that, that's the last thing you said, interpreting that silence um, is just so important because it, it brings me back to what I used to, I was a high school teacher right out of college, and it brings me back to what I used to call the first year teacher syndrome, where if, if especially in high school, if somebody laughed, the assumption was they were laughing at me. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, so I, you know, I had to respond some way to, to manage my class better. And in fact, they might have been laughing because they thought of something funny that had nothing mm -hmm. to do with me. So <laughs> understanding that silent pause and, and really knowing where it's come from, it's, it's, it's just really, you know, letting my stuff go and exactly. simply be with the client. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're coming towards the end of our time here. And um, what I want to do is just make sure that we leave very few stones unturned, if any. <laughs> um, and I'm not asking you for a, you know, some magical you know, summary statement or anything, but is there anything else you'd like to um, just put on the table um, you know, within, within the context of, of what we said we would address today that I haven't brought you to yet um, before we begin to close? And again, there's no obligation to say yes or no to that, but I want to make sure that I ask the question. Well, um, actually, this question came up the other night when I was um, doing the coaching demo on the coaching in action call. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of people in therapy, particularly in the positive psychology that come to coaching. And it's sort of like the client mentioned when she got to the edge of the cliff being afraid. And, um, you know, and so I ask about the fear. And so someone asked me that's new to coaching um, about, um, you know, is it okay to talk about fear? as a coach you know and 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 all all of us as human beings will have some fears and anxieties that are within the context of us being you know well and resourceful and on all of that kind of thing and so almost every life transition um whether it's losing someone whether it's um you know just uh, one of the things i think is largely undiscussed in the health and wellness coaching arena is the uh, developmental transition. Whether it's childbearing or parenting, it doesn't have to be just childbearing. Whether it's moving into uh, menopause and andropause, there's very little about andropause and, and even in the whole bigger aging process that we don't have enough of our thinking about how would that be different for someone at this age versus someone at that age. And, and, and a large part of that is physiological. It is physiological, hormonal. And, you know, it sometimes feels to the individual as something's gone crazy with me and, I, and I'm not sure what to do with it, you know. And um, understanding sometimes does help. So we have that ability in health and wellness coaching to provide some information. What I would like to share about that as well, which is an indirect way of a body, is that I always say to my clients, why don't you search this topic and I'll search this topic. And then when we get back together, we'll share. Mm -hmm. You learn so much from a client about all of the different choices when you go on the internet, what they choose. Okay, yeah. 
And that tells you about where they already are and what they're looking for or where they might have a bias or whatever. And so, um, you know, addressing any of those transitions, I think, is um, such an important part of uh, the coaching process that we frequently don't talk about is integrating the developmental with the physiological, the developmental with the spiritual, and the developmental with the emotional. And uh, just being mindful of, you know, the age of my client and what are some of the other challenges that they might be experiencing that they might not be, you know, either comfortable to talk about to some people or, um, you know, that it, it has an impact, but we're just not, we're not talking about it because it's not, going back to that word, it's not comfortable. <laughs> Yeah, thank thank you for that. I'm gr I'm glad you raised that, and we could you know we could speak for another four or five hours. If we, if we added the development, uh, you know, across a broad spectrum of things that develop in, into the conversation. So no, I'm I'm really happy that you added that in there because that's that's so so important. Our worldview shifts, our based on our life experience, our chronology, our physiology. Um, so absolutely. So I'm, I'm just really happy that you 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 added that. Uh, even though, even, even though it was quickly at the end, yeah. um, but again, we, we could go on for quite some time and we won't, at least not this time. Okay. So, um, Pat, I just again want to say how, how much I enjoyed this conversation. I appreciate, um, you know, the work you did, uh, you know, getting ready for it and the you know, time you spent preparing for this, the time you're spending with me right now. I really appreciate that. Um, and, um, you just, uh, Thank you for, for lending your voice and your expertise and your, um, your training and your background and your experience to the summit. Really, I'm really happy with, with this and, and, and thanks so much. Well, I'm, I'm honored that uh, I had the opportunity to talk about this and I'm also honored to be um, you know, one of the, the speakers for the, for the summit. So thank you as well. Yeah, you're very welcome. So this is Reggie Mara um, for Teleosis Institute. I'm just finishing my wonderful conversation with Pat Hinton Walker. Um, and thanks to all of you who are participating in this summit. Uh, take care.